Good evening and welcome to Hot Takes. Oh my goodness gracious me, it is about time. My name is Andrew White alongside the incredible Kevin Slattery in studio with Andrew Marshall and our very own Justin Ellis over the phone. How are we doing, gentlemen? Just rocking and rolling out here, Wade. Just rocking and rolling. Doing great, man. I, I mean, I've never heard incredible for me, but I, I really appreciate that. You, you're, you're kind of like my ultimate hype man over there. Good. I really love it. I'd like to do that for you, as always. All right, let us begin. Right off the bat, we are here. It is October 28th. Welcome. Almost happy Halloween to everybody at home. I don't really like Halloween that much, but it's a good day for everybody else. It's Saturday. Please be safe for everybody. We don't want to have any bad situations any further, especially those of you at school. We're doing a pretty good job so far. So, anyway, it's a great day to be alive. Let's start it off with the World Series. The Los Angeles Dodgers have won. Congratulations. 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 Um, Let me give this straight to Andrew Marshall real quick. Tell us how you feel, my guy, L.A. fan. And while you do that, I'm changing my headphones. So, But have fun. Go for it. Oh, dude, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely pumped. Really, really happy to see uh, the Dodgers finally bring one home. First time since 88. So, yeah, I mean, I know, I know a lot of my family's pumped, and uh, it's really cool to see. I will say, so my, we, my brother and I kind of had a funny exchange because, you know, we don't watch as – we really don't watch that much baseball anymore. I – started watching this series but my brother has not watched it all and so he calls me he's scrolling through instagram he's like dude i just saw this the dodgers won the world series (laughs) like that's like i haven't watched baseball in years but that's kind of cool so i mean i think you know the city's obviously um i think that partially because it was such a long time for the dodgers to win again it means a lot more for the city to win this series than um than like the NBA title that they just won. Um, yeah, I might be off on that analysis, but just knowing kind of what LA's like and what you know, like how much that city like really wanted a, a World Series back, I, I think that um, it really does mean a lot. It is. I, I think honestly too, Marsh, that the Dodgers are kind of a historic franchise. Obviously, being from Brooklyn, Jackie Robinson, and then coming over to LA in the fifties. They're one of the teams in L.A. that is kind of like a heritage team. I think uh, you probably agree with me a little bit on that, where they have, a large, they have a large fan base like the Lakers, a lot of support, a lot of local support. And honestly, too, they have one of the highest attendances in baseball. So they have a legit fan base, a legit crowd, and it's honestly well-deserved, man. I mean, they've had so many heartbreakers over the years, too, whether it was the Nationals last year or the Cubs in previous years. I mean it's it's happy it, it's happy it's it's a good moment because it shows that a team that just routinely couldn't get over the hump finally did after many years after numerous seven division titles in a row countless playoff failures they finally won they finally got over the hump and this is a team dude that could run it back i mean this is a legitimate team still they're going to have some free agents justin turner is a free agent but it's still a promising young team yeah, Kev, I know you talked about them getting over the hump. And, I mean, I agree. That obviously is a big hump to get over. And uh, my respect's out to Satan Kershaw, especially in this scenario, because he's been riddled with playoff woes and has been ridiculed by the by a lot of the fans of the MLB for a long time now about his playoff performances. So 
he's probably the most deserving person of a wing of a ring on that team. But some of those people like Mookie, they they weren't necessarily trying to get over a hump. They were just coming to a new team. I mean, the Dodgers got the right pieces at the right time to come together. But I gotta say, you also said you're talking about Justin Turner being a free agent, and honestly. He really should be a free agent. He just shouldn't play in the MLB anymore, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, just looking at my personal opinion on the matter of what happened following the World Series win, where um, Turner was taken out mid-game due to the diagnosis of the positive COVID test, I think there's a lot of people to blame for what happened with that, um, including the MLB. When you have a non-conclusive test, that doesn't always mean that it's going to be positive, but it definitely means that there's some speculation there that it could be. Um, I know some leagues like the NFL are taking some of those those things a bit more seriously than the MLB did this season. Um, but seeing that, I mean, it, it's kind of a disgrace to this whole COVID thing. You make it up to this point, and all of a sudden you just see Justin Turner find out he had, is positive for COVID. He goes out there with the fans, and I understand he's been around the team the entire time. It's very possible that he would have spread it. It's already spread all over that locker room already. But in the off chance that it hadn't spread to that locker room, you're now basically avoiding these players from being able to go home to their families without risking giving their families COVID now. I mean, he's created a very possible huge outbreak, and if I was one of the players on that team, I would think that I need to quarantine for 14 days because that's just a ridiculous way to handle it. And I think, honestly, the MLB obviously won't because rain down um, on Justin Turner and the Dodgers because, you know, um, the commissioner doesn't like to rain down punishments as we've seen in the past. Um, but it should definitely be something that's considered. If I was commissioner, I'd be heavily penalizing them and possibly suspending Justin Turner for, I would say, at least the first quarter of his season. I, I just think it's completely disrespectful to everything that the MLB worked for this year. He also was taking his mask off um, for, yeah. for pictures with the trophy, was he not, or was that just me? He did that. Clear. No, that's true. With the team photo, he took off his pictures. He was right next to Dave Roberts during those pictures. That's so. right. Uh, shout out to manager Dave Roberts, another guy who deserves um, this trophy more than most people. Absolutely love him. He's a gr- he was a great manager for my MLB The Show team. But <laughs> I literally just can't. I-, I can't imagine what Roberts was even thinking standing next to the guy. Like, I wouldn't want to be next to the player, especially if I was Roberts' age. It, it really just doesn't make any sense anywhere on the board. I mean, I think you're making a great point, Justin, because Dave Roberts, who, who you just mentioned, He's a cancer survivor, so there is risk. I mean, I, I heard in a report that I was reading that he was talking to doctors about the risk he he would have to take to manage this season and whether it was worth it or not, and he, obviously he wanted to be out there and compete for a championship with his guys, but it's concerning. Um, it, it's a tough spot, too, though, because I don't know. For, for Major League Baseball, they had 32 consecutive days, I think it was, where there weren't any positive tests. You went to these neutral sites that were supposed to be isolated areas where people were really just going to the hotels and to the game and then going back to the hotel. So it's kind of concerning that Turner I tested positive. you, you got to think that there was a, a break in protocol or something. And he was in a position, too, where obviously, you know, in the best of circumstances, you want to be out there celebrating with your teammates for a championship. But I think you're right, Justin, under the guise of covid in this new era it's not a good look and you know i mean we've all had to make sacrifices in the age of covid and you know it's tough for everybody involved i don't know what the punishments are going to be if there will be any but 
you just hope that, again, everybody stays safe and that nobody has any symptoms. Yeah, and just for the audience's point of reference, for those who might not be familiar with how the MLB has handled similar situations, um, Zach Playsack and Mike Clevenger earlier in the season when they were on the Cleveland Indians um, got in trouble with MLB COVID protocol for going out to, I believe, a casino or dinner with friends, something similar to that. Um, and the punishment was a fine, but it was also an internal punishment where they sent Clevenger and Playsack back down to their alternate site um, for a bit. Um, yeah. Playsack was there longer than Clevenger because Clevenger was eventually traded to the Padres. But um, Playsack, who was probably their best pitcher this season, even with how well Clevenger played, Playsack was incredible when he did pitch. Um, that out a lot of that season for the Indians because of the fact of that, which was only an internal result. Um, obviously, I feel like the Dodgers wouldn't internally punish Turner because um, all the other Dodgers players permitted it and let him onto the field with a positive test. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if the MLB hands down any kind of in-game fine along with a monetary fine if they do find that Justin Turner not only um, left the bubble for any reason, but also went onto the field with the positive COVID. I still know what the guideline is for actually continuing to be around your team when you're already tested COVID positive. It's basically un- it's unheard of up to co- in COVID sports up to this point for the person to keep coming back to the team after he's been diagnosed positive. Interesting points all around. Thank you, Justin, for bringing that to the light. And your last question I will say or ask about this World Series, and then we'll move on to other things, is the decision to pull Blake Snell after five innings with, I believe it was eight strikeouts, zero walks, two hits, zero runs, and he was pulled with 73 pitches. Granted, I recognize that the relief pitching of the Rays has been above par, to say the least, if not incredible but an elimination game a guy playing that well he's pulled and then they immediately start losing what is our take around the panel we'll go to justin first because i believe he made a groaning sound at my question yeah i mean you guys have heard me hammering this home when we've talked about the mlb playoffs this entire season it's pitching management was probably the most crucial part of this entire season and the playoffs, just because of how well pitchers were pitching and how interesting the pitching dynamics were and they had decisions teams were making in order to win games because you often saw teams maybe bringing in starters as relievers more often or relievers as starters in order to manage the pitching um more differently and have better stamina but you're sending you're sending out a guy who's only let up his second hit like you said whitey i mean i i, I think it's just an unacceptable choice to make and i mean uh I'm not surprised that they lost that game, and I think that is on pitching management and how you handle your pitchers at that point. I mean, the guy's obviously not tired. The guy's obviously mad. Um, if I was Blake Snell, I've been yelling, get away from my mouth, let me keep pitching here. I mean, I understand Blake Snell was upset, but I think, you, I, I think I understand that there is a level of respect between pitching coaches and managers and pitchers and all that. But if, if you're Blake Snell, I think you got to stand up for yourself even more because uh, they they did him dirty. I wouldn't want to be in Tampa anymore. I would say I want to leave. I want to never come back because that's just a horrible look to put on Blake Snell to end the season. Yeah, interesting point. I mean, when he was leaving the mound, you're right. He did have some incredible emotions about it, but you're right. He kind of just – there wasn't really that much back talking. So I, I see your point. Absolutely. Now, Kev, I know you mentioned your thoughts on, you know, cash in this role. So, so tell me about it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean – 
I agree with both of you guys in that I think he got pulled too early. Uh, so far for, well, actually for the whole season, Blake Snell never got over six innings. So I think they were keeping that in mind when they were looking at his innings pitched. But this is a downside, though, when you manage with analytics sometimes, is that when you become too encompassed by the stats and too focused on the stats, you lose sight of the feel of the game. How's the guy pitching? What's the movement on his fastball? Is he locating well? All that stuff really matters in a closeout game to make sure you don't tire out your bullpen or bring in a guy who might not be ready. You can bring in a guy who wasn't ready. And they did bring in Nick Anderson, and Nick Anderson has been one of the best relief pitchers in baseball this year, less than a one ERA. But immediately then, I think for the first batter, he gave up hard contact. And then there was all of a sudden a man on second and first. So at that point, if you're cash and Snell hadn't really given up hard contact before that, do you pull Anderson because he gave up hard contact? So what's the standard that we're going to judge a starter versus a reliever? Because you can bring in a guy who's not ready for the moment, maybe, for whatever reason. And it's a tough spot that I think Snell was put in. I, I would have gone with Snell. I would have rode him to at least seven innings. Um, but also, too, it showed, too, that after the postgame when Snell was arguing and saying, like, look, I, I feel like I should have been on the mound more, it shows he's a competitor. And this is a guy who's been an elite pitcher. He's a Cy Young winner. It's a blunder. Yeah, and Kev? Yeah. You make a really great point about um, the analytics of the game. I mean, when we get nowadays, obviously, we're big stat teams. We see people like the movies like the Moneyball and stuff like that with the athletics and like all these other stuff that goes around about how teams win looking at analytics. But this is still, this isn't a computerized game. We're not actually playing MLB the show. We're not looking <laughs> at stats when we determine who we're signing or how we're handling pitching. This is way more real. These are real people with real up and down emotions, with real changing interaction. I mean, I just don't think you can gauge that um, in order to determine something in the moment like that when you're playing a game. Yeah, sure, maybe when you make your starting lineup or set your starting pitching rotation, but when you're in the heat of the game, I think stats are out the window, and I think, um, that needs to be respected a bit more as time goes on. I totally agree. All right. You know, in terms oh, of, go on. Oh, no, so, go for it. Yeah, so in terms of analytics, I, I always thought of baseball as like the statistics sport relative to the other, you know, American sports. Um, it is a huge part of the game. I think with analytics in baseball, they've kind of taken over the sport and kind of like overlapped the human element, but the thing is, like, with analytics, analytics is just information. That's all it is. And people think, like, oh, analytics is the answer. It's like you have so much information at your disposal, you have to make sense of it. And so it's not just looking at the analytics. It's being able to decipher what the right information is. And so I think people are just, like, completing analytics with just, like, oh, that's what the – see, this is what the, the smart people think is the answer. It's like, well, you – need to decipher this information. It doesn't take into account, you know, context and situation and the human element. And so that's what we're missing, and that's what people are pissed about. But, yeah, I would have probably put them in there for seven innings, even though I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of stats saying that, you know, his third time through the lineup, he's not quite as good. But I would have rode the hot hand. Yeah, I think the Rays, uh, the Rays management staff, um, 
might not have won the World Series, but maybe with that kind of micromanaging, they can win a fancy baseball season, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, that is... <laughs> Funny points, Justin. Funny. Thank you, Marsh, for that ad. Um, all right, let's move. So congratulations, Marshall, and all L.A. fans and Dodger Nation. Congratulations on what you should have won at least in the past three or four years at least once. So here it is. Congratulations. Happy for you. Now let us move to the NBA. I'm only going to ask one of these two questions because we spent a good amount of time on the MLB, and we do have to get out of here at some point, even though we all love us. So... The NBA is deciding to start on December 22nd, three days before Christmas. That is for their next season. That would be the 2020-2021 season. I'm going to go around the panel, ask how you feel about this start on the 22nd. Is it too early? Do we like that it's already coming back? And if you want to twinkle in there that apparently there's rumors LeBron James might not play for a month, what are your thoughts on that? Is he soft for that, or does he have every right to do that? Go on, just send it for a few seconds, and then we'll move to the NFL. Kev, your thoughts? Uh, I think you can make the argument that it's too early of a date, but I think what the NBA is doing right now is they're looking at the ratings that happened this previous season, and for the finals, the ratings weren't good. When the league came back, and then you started seeing the playoff games go into late August and September even, it, it was bad for the sport in terms of people were thrown out of rhythm. You're used to seeing the finals in... May, early June, like that's kind of the time frame for the finals. And I think for them, they realize it's probably not going to be a normal season where they're going to have fans in the stands. So at this point, the ratings are what's going to drive the revenue for the league almost entirely. So if you're keeping that in mind, you want to try to fit in a good time mark in the wintertime where people are probably still going to be in their house for the most part. Uh, unless that's, and that's even with COVID. So you want to gear it towards that December, May time frame that you were looking for, you cut off 10 games or so, like games that people wouldn't care about, like, I don't know, Lakers, Magic, like something like that. You cut out a couple of those games that aren't national TV games, and then you have something where you can fit more national televised games in a shorter amount of time. As with LeBron and some of these veterans who might sit out a month, it makes sense because it's, it's quick to start to end the season in September and then jump back into it in December. That's a lot to ask for someone who's 35 years old now and just came off winning another title. And he knows his body, again, more than anybody else. And I think you could still see a situation where LeBron sits out for a month or so into the season and he comes back and then he's fresh and the Lakers go on a roll again. It could very well happen. Now it's hard in the West, but you can't rule it out of the question with him. Before I lead it over to Marshall, I will say on that end, I agree he knows his body the most, but I will say if the Lakers start to underperform and quickly, I, I do think it's on him to get over himself and start playing the game, even, even if it hurts. Um, I hope he doesn't stick to some exact timetable, no matter how many games they lose. I think he's he's got an obligation to be a part of a team. He's getting paid to be a part of a team and try to win games, so obviously don't want the guy to kill himself, but... If it comes to a point that they need him more than his deadline, I think he should man up and take the job. But I get it for the beginning. You also can't rule out potentially that LeBron plays 25 to 20 minutes maybe in a couple of those valid. games. That's also so valid. That, that could be a change of pace too where he doesn't have to stick to the time frame and he can manage his minutes in that regard. That's a totally valid point. All right, Marshall, I want your opinion first. So I think there are things that regarding the NBA schedule and just in life in general, 
they sound good in principle, but they don't actually work. And so when I saw that the NBA season was resuming and I had basically like the whole end of my summer to watch basketball, I was like, oh, this is sweet. I don't have anything to watch at this point. Like, I'm probably going to watch a ton of basketball. Nope, not at all. Like, I watched less basketball this year than I usually do. And I, I'm normally watching every – I'm usually hit or miss during the season, so I'll probably watch like 20 games during the season. But I'm watching every playoff game, and I didn't do that this year. I kind of pick and chose my spots. Um, so I think there is something to like the rhythm – of the season and just it's ending in June and just always being used to that. So I think that if they're going to alter the season at all, I think they have to shave off games at the front end, but still end around the same time. You can move it back like a few weeks or something, but I think there is something to just having a normal calendar year. And with LeBron, I've heard him talk about this. He, he said that his body for the most part, like, once he's, like, kind of revved up and ready to go, he's fine, like, playing, like, 40 minutes in a game. Like, his body just works that way. But, like, his body benefits more from resting. Like, he wants days off. So, like, he doesn't – like, it, it's not as beneficial for him to play 30 minutes for every game. But, like, you can kind of, like, you know, go full force with him. But he needs a few days off. Um, so, I think that's just, like, something that he said about his body. So, I – I think that is kind of playing into the fact, like, he wants some days off. I know, you know, if most of us did that at work, we, we couldn't get away with it, but we're not LeBron James. So, <laughs> um, you know, he just won a title, so I'm, I'm fine if he's, you know, taking a little bit off the, the front end if he's got it on the back end. All right, Justin. Okay, so first of all, straight up, that NBA day isn't going to happen. There's no way. Just <laughs> I understand they want to end on the normal calendar schedule, and they will. I just don't think it's going to be 72 games. I think it's going to be something less, maybe something like 62, maybe 60, um, because I just think with how close the draft is going to happen, how quickly free agency is going to happen, it's a nice thought, but everything in COVID gets moved back. It's going to get moved back. The NBA will not feel comfortable in that spot, and I think a lot of the teams and the players are going to start bad-talking the NBA in the coming weeks about that date, and they will push the back out of the bit of the pressure they're going to get from that. Um, as far as how I feel about LeBron personally, I feel like um, he's going to play game one whenever the season starts. LeBron James will be in that game. I understand he benefits from rest. He likes rest. He is a competitor, though, and he's going to want to play those games, especially in a shortened season, because every single one of those games is going to matter, and he knows that his team wants him and needs him on the court regardless of how well he's playing, just for a morale sense, to actually have him suited up and out there playing games. And here's one for you. We talk a lot about LeBron's legacy. Imagine the legacy of playing on this kind of season, having a shortened rest off season, and then this guy comes out, plays the entire next season, and if he won the championship, that would be something if he played on the shortened rest with another season, Understand that it's shortened, so there's a bit of an asterisk. But regardless, a shortened offseason where people are like, oh, he's old and he needs rest. Imagine him going out there and playing at his top level the entire season and then winning a title. And then you're going to have a serious conversation about how amazing LeBron is even at his current age. That's the kind of legacy I think LeBron needs to create if you're even going to start having that Michael Jordan conversation again. 
he needs to have that kind of season back-to-back with the short and break. That will prove something that hasn't been seen. Nice. Dude, nice. that was well said, Justin. Nice. I like that. I like that. And we're I'm gonna... sure he was listening, so I'm ready for it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was great. We're going we're gonna to stop the NBA talk right there. That was a perfect segue. Unreal commentary, Justin. Well done. All right. NFL time. Here it is. Probably the biggest news of the weekend, at least in my eyes. Odell Beckham goes down for the year. Unfortunate situation. Um, knee injury. He's out. Now, how much does this hurt the Browns' chances? I, I wrote playoffs, playoffs-wise, but you can just say in general. How, how much does this affect uh, the Cleveland Browns? Kevin. Well, if you took away Odell Beckham from any team, I would say... Yes, it hurts, but for this team in particular, I actually don't think it's that as much of a big loss as people think because I think you can make the argument that of all the receivers Cleveland has, Odell maybe has the least amount of synergy with Baker Mayfield. And this is a team, too, that is kind of a ground-and-pound offense. When Chubb was there with ground-and-pound, and now even more with Kareem Hunt, it's ground-and-pound. And yes, you know, there's... Um, there's Peoples-Jones now, and there's Jarvis Juice Landry, and yes, they have guys who they can throw to on the outside. But this is a team that wants to run the ball more because outside of RPOs, Baker Mayfield has not been that good. You can't really run a whole lot of offense with Baker Mayfield outside of RPOs and maybe a couple bootlegs. So if you're Stefanski, you know this, and yes, it hurts maybe the opportunities or the options you can do with Odell, but... I think you can make the argument they didn't have that many options with offense to begin with passing-wise because Baker's their quarterback. Um, They could still make the playoffs. I think they're the third-best team in their division still. I don't think they're better than Baltimore. don't think they're better than Pittsburgh. But they can still rely on that run game and maybe squeak in. Justin. So Cleveland's one of those teams that I'm going to be pushing on people for the rest of the season to say that, like, they're going to have a great back half of the season, in my opinion. You look at the remainder of their schedule. Right now, they're only scheduled to play three teams over five, four teams over 500, sorry, um, 500 or even, I should say. And three of those games are at home, and I still think there's obviously home benefits, even with a smaller crowd. Um, but I expect the Browns to have a very impressive back half to, of their season. I mean... Uh, David Njoku is finally getting playtime again, especially with Hooper out. I mean, even when Hooper returns at this point, Njoku is still going to have a role in that offense, absolutely. Um, when Nick Chubb recovers from his injury, I expect to see Kareem Hunt in the wide receiver route a bit more. That seems to be like the current day and age NFL move when you're low on wide receivers. Higgins has done a strong number three wide receiver performance, so I'm interested to see what he does with that opportunity. Kev already mentioned Peoples Jones, who's going to get his opportunity as a rookie. They also have Trent Taylor coming over from Tennessee um, from last season. He had pretty decent numbers. And to be perfectly honest, if the Browns aren't satisfied with what they have, the trade offers out there in the deadline is a very strong trade for basically any position at this point. We've seen a heavy run on defensive linemen already this week. Um, but right now, I just see I see AJ Green, DD Westbrook, and Alshon Jeffrey all as possibilities to be on the move to Cleveland. I mean, AJ Green seems a bit more unlikely, but I think he's the type of playmaker that the Browns would actually want to shoot for. And I think the Bengals obviously are kind of done with AJ Green at this point. D Higgins has taken his role, but definitely DD Westbrook and Alshon Jeffrey, I think, have 
strong potentials to possibly end up on Cleveland just because they have good weapons, but they don't have veteran weapons per se. I mean, Higgins just doesn't have the amount of play time that some of these other vets in the league have. So I, if I'm the Browns, I'm not concerned at all, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I think they're – if I was going to lock a team right now in their playoff spot and say this team's going to get this playoff spot, the Browns, I think, will get the number five seed. And I'm going to stick by that and say that no matter what happens, the Browns will be the fifth seed in the AFC. And that's just how I stand. All righty. I – ooh, five. I'm going to ride that, that to, to the death of me, Justin, that they'll – not be in that position but me and you have disagreed on that all season and so far you're winning so congratulations uh marshall (laughs) i'm winning on the steelers though so but (laughs) marshall no like obviously this injury is bad right you're losing top 10 top five receiver in the league um kevin mentioned the lack of rapport that beckham had with mayfield it was very noticeable um also the play where he tore his acl on was kind of a weird play but that's besides the point. Um, this is a run-first team. This, this team is very diverse with how it runs the ball. I thought it was going to be like this outside zone team that they had in Minnesota. Savansky is coming from there, but they're running a lot of like gap in zone concepts that work really nicely off each other. So when someone has like at the NFL level, when someone has like such a diverse run game, like a Kyle Shanahan or um, like Savansky showing, it, I. I view that very highly because it shows me that you understand how play sequencing works. And so for that reason, I'm kind of buying in on this coach. Now, I'm not really buying in on Mayfield particularly, but I don't think that I have to fully be really in on Mayfield because, like, Kirk Cousins was very successful in a different variation of this offense. So... And then the tight ends in this offense actually have been pretty impressive to me with Austin Hooper and then the rookie Harrison Bryant. So I think that they're going to get a lot more run. I think that it's going to be a negative not having Beckham because you're going to still need those two wide receivers. But I still I, I think they're going to make do, and they're going to kind of lean into the run game a little bit more. I think they'll be like 9-7, 10-6. So, oof. Whatever, that's probably, what, 6 or 7 seed. Yeah, probably six. Probably AFC, six. Opinion, yeah. But. So I think they'll be around there. They, I mean, this is what happens when you draft like top five for so many years. You get Miles Garrett, you get Denzel Ward, you get Jedrick Wills looks really good at left tackle. You know, they drafted him pick ten. So when you're so bad for so long, like at some point you're just going to get three players, and that's what they have. You know, Marshall, when you said, and for that reason, I was waiting for you to say, I'm out. Shark Tank, <laughs> but, but but you didn't. Yeah, it's you all. Did. Good. But I mean, you you had so many high draft picks. It'd be nice if you could get a quarterback. Well, here's the thing: they they think they have one, you know. <laughs> hey, you had that five touchdown game against the. All right, boys. all right. I'm done with this. Justin rails me every week on this. I'm not having it this week. Um, well, let's, let's let's move on to. All right, Des Bryant. Antonio Brown, that is the discussion we will have right now. Are they legit? I think we already mentioned that Antonio Brown is, at least in terms of the athlete and football player that he is. However, will either of these players make some sort of influence to their prospective teams? Uh, let's let's switch up the order this time. Let's go with Justin, and then Marshall will end with Kev. Well, for Antonio Brown, I actually think it's a no-brainer yes. Um, 
Godwin, obviously, is still dealing with injuries. But even when Godwin gets back in that offense, you're looking at Godwin, Evans, and Scotty Miller has played a great impact role on that team, whether Godwin and Evans have both been on the field or one of them has been out. Scotty Miller has been actively involved in that team the entire time. And I think Antonio Brown's going to take Scotty Miller's role. Kind of a shame for Miller. He's having a great season. But Poor guy. I definitely think Antonio Brown is going to fill that role very quickly and have some pretty heavy impact numbers right off the bat. And I mean, as you look at the Buccaneers team, their run game has been relatively strong this season. I think that's thanks to a stronger offensive line with players like Worf on the team. But I also think that that run game probably won't be maintained the entire season. One, because I think the Buccaneers defense um, is still not a top defense and will probably have some shootout games still. And I also just don't feel that um, very comfortable with Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette at the moment as running backs. Jones has shown in the past he's not the best at times, and Fournette obviously is an injury concern week-to-week basis. So, I mean, I expect Antonio Brown to play a very heavy role in that offense. As far as Des Bryant goes, I mean, I think he could play an influence if he ever hits the field. I just don't know if he's actually going to make it to the field. I mean, keep in mind that he is a bit different. He was technically signed to the practice squad rather than the actual team roster. Um which obviously doesn't mean like he's going to be on the field anytime soon. And I think that's obviously because he needs a tune-up. He's been out of the league for two years. And, I mean, even when he was in the league, he immediately got hurt on the Saints. So I'm not really sure what I expect from him. I mean, obviously, if he hit the field, he'd be nice to have next to Marquise Brown. Des Bryant would probably get some more short routes in there for an offense that I don't think really has many short route receivers. Um, but I definitely don't think – he would give an impactful role. If I had to like, give numbers on what I would expect average from both of them, I'd say Antonio Brown could probably have a seven-catch, 100-yard game with one or two touchdowns. Des Bryant, at best, is probably maybe five catches for 40 to 50 yards and maybe a toss-up touchdown if it came down to it. But that would be Des Bryant's best day, in my opinion. So I'm way more sold on Antonio Brown, and Des Bryant might just be more of a role player at this point. Marshall, what are your opinions? Yeah, we, we talked about AB, uh, you know, last time on the show. Right. With regards to the Bucks, I think the um, the guards at center, Marpet and then uh, Ryan Jensen, just from watching them so far, um, they're phenomenal. They've been playing at, like, an all-pro level, and the worst kid is, like, he's for real. Um, but AB's going to fit into this offense really nicely. He's got a very diverse skill set. He can run. We, we know what Antonio Brown can do. Um, for Des Bryant, we haven't seen him in a little while, and I'm – a little bit surprised with the timing because, you know, if the Ravens wanted a six foot two, you know, if they wanted someone who's six foot two and uh, can't run at all, I'm not sure where they didn't sign me. So, <laughs> you know, like that's that's the only thing with um, Bryant. Like he didn't look explosive at all the last time we saw him on the field, and since then he's had an Achilles injury and he's been out of football for two years. So I can't, you know, I I actually think he's probably going to be. Like, if you like what Alshon Jeffrey looks like right now, kind of knock a little bit off of, like, that ability, and you probably have what Des Bryant looks like, which isn't great, but maybe he can play some reps. I don't know. I'm skeptical about that one, but we'll see if, like, he's really come back. The, the, the whole thing with, you know, Des is he used to be a player who could, like, go get the football and he could break a ton of tackles. Um, and then when he wasn't playing at 100%, 
he wasn't exactly the same guy. So I, I just wonder what he looks like. Respectful. That's Brian Alston Jeffrey looks like the same person right now. Neither of them have touched the field in general. Alston's <laughs> as good as says Brian in my eyes. <laughs> All right, K-Slot. Well, I agree with everything you guys are talking about. I agree with the idea that we haven't seen Des Bryant in a while, so we don't know exactly how much of an impact player he can be. I lean towards he could still be an impact player. I think he's more obviously at this point in his career a third or fourth receiving option on a team like the Ravens. I mean, he might get bumped down further if you have a guy like Mark Andrews who you want to consider as one of their top receiving options. But just for wide receivers, he might be like a third or fourth receiving option. Antonio Brown, obviously the talent's still there. Nobody questions that, even with the layoff. The question is, for a team with Super Bowl aspirations in Tampa, and I still think, not still think, I I think at this point they may be the favorite in the NFC. I think they're that good of a team. Will he come in and just be combustible? Because we saw it happen in Pittsburgh with a shouting match with Big Ben, and the arguments and the Facebook Live locker room uh, video. We saw stuff like that happen. We saw the speeding in Pittsburgh and all the stuff that he got in trouble with there. Then he goes to Oakland, gets in a shouting match with the GM, won't play because of a helmet, and gets cut. Then he signs with New England, and then rape accusations come out. So regardless of what you feel about any of them or who's at fault, the last several years have been incredibly tumultuous. And I don't know what to expect if he does show up in Tampa. Honestly, I wouldn't even be surprised if the contract isn't signed and then he just shows up. And they're like, oh, man, you haven't signed the contract yet. And then there's a whole big debacle over that. <laughs> like I, I, I honestly, in 2020, it would only make sense for Antonio Brown to have a crazy moment like that. Um, so I don't know what to expect. If he's there mentally, he'll, he's still one of the best receivers in football. But, again, if Tampa has problems and he does play and then there's outbursts and stuff, I mean, he's going to get blamed again, and rightfully so. All right, guys, a question I have for you before we continue. So this studio needs to be uh, used at 8 o'clock for something else today. So um, we have a lot of questions left. I love that we're talking so much. So my question for you boys would be, normally our spread segment takes approximately 10-ish minutes at the end. So would you rather skip that segment, get more questions in, or me skip some of these questions and make sure we still get the spreads in? We'll take a poll. We'll start with Kev. What are your thoughts? I like the questions right now, man. I, th- I think we're in a good groove with the questions. Keep the questions. Skip the spreads today. Yep. Okay, Justin. I will um, give my vote to Kev and trust that he is the correct man. So I vote with Kev. Uh, Andrew Marshall. All right, there we go. We're going to get as many questions in as we can. We'll skip the spreads today, and we'll pick that right back up next week. So let's make this real breezy. Cowboys, should they be trading for a quarterback or, or, or staying with, I mean, at this point, you might as well throw Kevin in there, and you might be playing football. So uh, Marshall, what should they do? I mean, <laughs> Marshall's going to be I, like, I'm yeah, throw Kev, throw Kev out there. That'll be good. <laughs> I'm just laughing because of how pathetic this team is. <laughs> um, you know, like, just ride with Ben Benucci. It can't get any worse. Like, it can, but it really can't. And, like, I don't see how any quarterback on the market could make this better. 
So honestly, like I, I would rather like sell my assets, try to get a top ten pick, retool for next season, to get the line back, get Dak back. Like you're not winning anything this year. <laughs> all right, Justin. First of all, not disrespect to my boy Ben DiNucci. No, relax. I mean, hey, let's all keep in mind that Facebook Story has TikTok moment. There's now Ben DiNucci TikTok. I hate that I'm you showed me the, the swirly one because now I see the Ben one, and it's very aggravating. I love the Ben DiNucci TikTok. <laughs> that is my favorite thing. I've been telling my roommate for weeks that if Ben DiNucci got a shot, oh uh, if Andy Dalton went down, there'd be DiNucci TikTok, and I'm so glad it happened. Um, as far as what the Cowboys should do, I think they've already made a grave error by not picking up a veteran quarterback as soon as Dak Prescott went down to play behind Andy Dalton because now you have left yourself in a situation where – you're still in the playoff contention, and you have to go up against Philadelphia this week, either with Dalton or Danucci, because of the fact you're not going to have time to have a veteran learn the playbook to play this weekend. But if I'm the Cowboys, I'm 100% thinking that even if I lose to the Eagles, I'm a game and a half down. If I beat Philadelphia again in Week 16 and play a relatively okay rest of the way, I can make it in at 7-9 and nine right now, <laughs> is what I think the goal is for the Cowboys. And I have plenty of quarterback prospects they could be getting. My number one choice would be to go with the famous man himself, the baker of turnovers himself, Jameis Winston, would be by far <laughs> the best player for this Cowboys team. I, the, the wide receiver options are amazing, similar to what was in Tampa. Yeah, you're going to get a few interceptions, but like a few. at least your guy can throw the ball downfield further than Andy Dalton could. Um so I really like Jameis Winston as a possible suitor if the Saints maybe aren't as sold on him being someone to play after Breeze, which I don't think they are. Um, some other options I think include include Tyrod Taylor, obviously. Um, got a bit thrown out there and has good legs similar to Prescott. Um, on that note, um, could be a resurgence option for Marcus Mariota. He's probably worth almost nothing on the market. You could probably get him for a seventh rounder or even a conditional pick. Um, Yikes. So I think Mariota could honestly fill the role well enough to get the Cowboys to 7-9. Um, Jaguars talked about benching Gardner Minshew if he continued to play bad. That's probably more of a tanking choice. Um, and I doubt they get rid of a face that Jacksonville likes so much, but I think he could be filling the role. Um, if the Patriots choose that uh, this isn't their year, Cam Newton all of a sudden looks like um, words that I choose not to use on this show. Um, after he ruined my fantasy team in one of my leagues. Um, oh, didn't he have like negative one and a half points or something? He had a shameful performance. I don't even know what the number was. When I saw how badly he did, I stopped paying attention to that team. So I decided not even to look. I see. Um, it was negative. But yeah, so Cam obviously could be thrown to the wind, see if Stidham's worth anything, or end up with the Patriots drafting Justin Fields and calling it a day. And finally, <laughs> the man... The man who deserved a real shot to oh. make the playoffs this season. Here we go. So distraught already this Here, here season. we go. Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> deserves a shot, man. Honestly, he does. I've never seen such a sad quote in my life when they were talking about how Ryan Fitzpatrick felt when he got sat for Tua. The Dolphins are 3-3. Three and three. Fitzpatrick had this season under control where he could have had a shot. So let him have an actual shot at a playoff berth. 
with the Dallas Cowboys, I definitely think Fitzpatrick could get them the seven wins guaranteed. So just get, give someone a shot. There, there's plenty of shots for someone to have a redemption season for the Cowboys and find their way into the into a starting role on another team next season when Dak comes back and probably signs a one-year, $1 million contract with the Cowboys when Jerry Jones refuses to pay him. So <laughs> let's, let's just give someone a shot in there, you know. Dallas can win can win this division pretty easily, in my opinion. All right, well said, Kevin. Um, well, for any other team that was in Dallas' situation, I would say, yes, trade for a backup quarterback. But if you're Dallas, your season's over. 25-3 against the Washington football team. Absolutely got smashed. And then when Dalton gets cheap-shotted by Bostic, nobody comes to his defense. And then afterwards, Mike McCarthy comes to the stand publicly to the media and says he was embarrassed by his team's fight and that they didn't get in Bostic's face after the hit. This is a team that looks like it's quitting on its head coach. A team that's just quitting in general. And I mean, everyone's having, everyone's freaking out in Dallas. Jerry yelled at a local radio station. Jerry was absolutely irate. Um, that's us, actually. Yeah, I mean, he just yelled at the host for no reason because he was asking questions. But this is a team that is honestly even more than the Jets. Just It's the most entertaining dumpster fire in football. And, like, mo- Dallas, most of America's happy. Like, they're happy that you're bad. No, that's America's team, is it not? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> um, but they're, they're just a bad football team. They have, no like, bad safeties, like what Marshall said before. No good O-line. I mean, honestly, maybe that you trot out Danucci and you see what you got at this point because – you might have something, and you're going to have to pay Dak, but it's just this team doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. This team seems dead in the water. They got absolutely demoralized, and I don't know where you go if you're Dallas. I think you just have to pack it in for the season. All right. I'm beginning to wonder if maybe Jason Garrett wasn't as bad as we all thought. I'm all of a sudden unsure how I feel about Jason Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might be right. You might be right. All right, let us. right, I'm going to skip a question here. And we're going to move on to another one. So McCaffrey might be coming back this week, possibly the next week. Uh, Coach Rule said that him, Davis, and Samuel are going to play running backs slash wide receivers. Um, so which one of these three will be the best when McCaffrey returns? We'll just go around. You don't have to explain much, but just go for it. Davis has been playing out of his mind, by the way. But Kevin, go. McCaffrey. All right. <laughs> Justin. I'm going to say McCaffrey just because I think he's going to get a lot of receiving role. But I'll be honest, if Mike Davis finishes with the most rushing yards on this team at the end of the season, won't surprise me at all. Mike Davis is going to earn a strong spot on someone's team in the near future or after this season, I feel like. Marshall. Davis is playing really well, but uh, McCaffrey just adds like a different dynamic uh, in the run and pass game. Um Davis also played a lot of really bad tackling teams when he was kind of going off. Um, mainly against like Atlanta, um, just off the top of my head. Davis runs with a ton of power. He just doesn't have that type of shift. Um, yeah, I got to go McCaffrey here. You know, if he's healthy, he's dynamic. Yeah, hopefully they don't rush him back and hurt him again. That'd be that'd be of the utmost unfortunate nature. So, okay, Todd Gurley said, "quote He's mad at mad as hell." at himself for the touchdown that he scored at the end of the game. I know, folks, that sounds very odd. But if you want any context, 
There was a minute and, I believe, 10 seconds left in the game. They're 15 yards out from a touchdown. They're already winning. Uh, no. Yeah, they're winning by, what was it, one point or two points or something like that? No. I don't, uh, I don't remember what it was. doesn't matter. Um, he decided to run. He was about to be tackled, but then the tackler let go, so he fell into the end zone, which actually gave a minute of time for the opposing team to score. He was mad, mad as hell at himself. However, the Falcons, as they normally do, let up a touchdown in 60 seconds. So whose fault really is it, or is it everybody's fault? What are your thoughts? We'll go with Marshall. I believe they might have been winning by one. That might have been the circumstance, but Marshall, go for it. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they were losing by one or winning by one. Um, if they were, you can still miss the field goal because I know people want you to play for the field goal. Um, I'll say that it's not entirely Gurley's fault because the first person actually tried to stop him and tackle him, and I think that kind of confused him, and so they didn't process that he had to like not cross the goal line until later. Yeah. Um, after he broke that initial tackle, that totally messed him up. If he saw that guy. Um, not go for the attack attempt. You know, Gurley would have caught on really quickly. Um, it's also the Atlanta's, it's, it's their defense's fault. I mean, they couldn't stop Galladay. Um, you know, this pass rush isn't good. Their coverage isn't good. So <laughs> it's just Atlanta being Atlanta, but good for Mets methods. <laughs> Justin. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the options that he had there are reminiscent of back in, I'm going to go the whole way back to 2007. Um, Brian Westbrook had a breakoff run in the Eagles-Cowboys game with about 2 minutes, 15 seconds left. And he ran about 25 yards when they were up 10-6, and he stopped at the one-yard line. I mean, and that's just classic, like, smart football IQ to kneel there and let the time run down, take the field goal, get rid of as much time as possible. Um, I mean, obviously, fantasy players hate to see it. You miss out on six points. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's just football IQ. I mean, there you you need to play smart when you play this game. Um, so I I'd be mad too if I did that. I mean, it's it's just the bad look altogether. He's gotta he's gotta think a bit more in the huddle. Guys, I'm sick of people blaming Todd Gurley for their team's problems. I'm sick of it, man. Like the Rams Super Bowl. Yes, he doesn't have a good game, but that offense was anemic. They couldn't push the ball down the field at all. In New England got absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage, and then. Last week, this Sunday, he got blamed again. Yes, he fell in the end zone too early, but you can't hold the Detroit Lions to no points in a minute. How, like, dude, it got so bad. Stafford, yes, he was he was slinging darts, but he was throwing sidearm thirty yards, and his receivers had two feet of separation on guys. They could not get stops. They got no pressure on Stafford at all. Even on the final touchdown. He scrambled out and was, like, shuffling his feet for what seemed like two minutes, which is, like, an eternity in NFL football to have that much time. And just before he got past the line, just sidearmed it in, like a 15-yard touchdown. He was sidearming two or three throws. There was one sidearm he launched, like, 30 yards down the field, and it was incredible and looked pretty. But still, his receivers had, like, two feet of separation. There was no coverage, good coverage at all by the corners in the final drive. And there was no pressure at all whatsoever. The front four got no pressure. Horrible that, defense. The Falcons' defense falconed. That's the sum up. <laughs> That's that conservative defense we talk about so often in this show, coming uh, back to bite people in the rear end. God. Okay, are the Steelers growing on anybody as a potential Super Bowl contender? To get as many questions in 
as we can. We're just going to go with yes or no. Super Bowl contender, Pittsburgh Steelers, Kevin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Justin, oh, this is the moment Hot we've all been waiting for. <laughs> what did you say? Sorry. Hot shake won't make playoffs. That's all I got to say. What? Justin, wait, wait, what? Justin, Justin, what, huh? Justin, that one I think deserves a whoa. little bit of an explanation. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay, here it comes. Are you ready? Uh, I'm prepared if you make it quick, yes. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Chiefs will get number one seed, Ravens number two, Bills number three, Titans number four. I think that's straightforward on who wins the division. Number five seed, I'm giving it to the Browns. I'm going to tell you the Browns, I think, finished with 12-plus wins on this season as a playoff, as a backup playoff team and in that fifth spot just because of the fact that they have such an easy back-end schedule. Um, sixth seed, I, I think the Colts have it at um, a 10-win season. Seventh seed, I think the Raiders are going to have a 10-win season. I think the Steelers are honestly only going to win three games for the rest of the season, and I think that's because they have a tough schedule. They have a lot of away games left in them. Um, they have to play the Ravens twice still, and I think the Bengals will probably steal one of two from them in this back end of the season. I think the Steelers just don't have a great schedule going forward. And I'll be honest with you, that team is an injury away from any key player who had injury risk in the past from being probably in the hole into a very dangerous season. I have them currently at 9-7 and seven and not making playoffs. So that's where I stand on the Steelers. Um, I will say, I um, if I could right now, um, I would hurt you for some of those comments, Justin. I would. I would. Um no, I'm kidding. I wouldn't hurt you, but I completely disagree, but that's okay. And I respect your opinion. Hot take gang out here. Hey, it's all good. If you want a hot take, I think Browns are going to be um, negative to end the season. So there you go. All right, Marshall, go. <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. Yeah, when you have three all pros on your defensive line, um, they have the best defensive line in football. So, like, they're playoff contenders. They're Super Bowl contenders. All right. Fair. <laughs> Justin, we'll see, what, we'll see what happens, man. We'll see what happens. Hey, I appreciate a good a good hot take here and there. I said it about the Thunder last year, and it ended up working out. So, we'll, although I don't think the Thunder one was as egregious as this one, but we'll let this one slide. <laughs> um, okay, who comes out on top of the NFC? Wrap it around, Kevin. Go. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The box for Kev. All right, J Dog. Um, I think when it comes to regular season seeding, I'm going to give it to the Cardinals. I think the Panthers are still my sleeper pick just because I think they have a really good season coming up. But as far as the championship goes, I think the Bucks and 49ers look like the best teams to possibly come out of the NFC playoff. All right. Uh, Marshall? Yeah, i got to go with Tampa here. Um, you know, outside of – unless Tom's getting hit, this team really has no weakness. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, they're phenomenal. Bucks. I'm going to stick with the Seahawks for right now on this one, but that could come back to haunt me within the next three or four weeks. Wouldn't be surprised. Okay. Two more questions. Should the Patriots be selling all of their assets? The New England Patriots, are they at a point now where they're not really going to make the playoffs? Or or what? What do we think about it? Uh, we'll switch it up this time. Marshall, would you like to go first? Yeah, so, you know, New England a weird team because they're you know if you evaluate their roster in terms of like blue shippers like top players at their position they really don't have very many and they've won the Super Bowl not having very many in recent years um, I still wouldn't sell assets I, Gilmore is actually a player I would put up on the block um, because the thing with Gilmore is Gilmore can mentally check out and right now he's mentally checking out he's very talented he did this in Buffalo this is a criticism and the whole knock on him in Buffalo. 
And if I could get something, like, you have J.C. Jackson. Like, people don't know who J.C. Jackson is, but, like, I think he's a top, like, 12-quarter in football. Um, and I think that he's worth signing long-term instead of Gilmore because Gilmore's a little older. So, you know, like, I've talked to some of my other past friends who, you know, they, they want to get rid of Joe Tooney and, like, all these other players. Like, I don't think – the thing with New England is, they, they draft, like, very specific types of players that fit within a very unique system. And so a lot of their players don't have universal trade value um, because they wouldn't be the same players in another system. So I think, like, Cooney and Gilmore are the only players that really have, like, any substantial trade, uh, substantial trade value. No one else does. So, like, I just don't think you can get that much for these guys. That's honestly, that's a really, really good point. So, because um, you can't sell the coach, you know. All right, Justin. Yeah, he's the, he's the, he'd be their, you know, only person worth, and he's he's old too. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, best comment of the day. Okay, Justin, go. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Gilmore, Tooney, Edelman, Burkhead, Michelle, Newton, and Lawrence Guy could all be sold. <laughs> Most of those. Would be for fourth rounders or later, probably more so fifth and sixth rounders. I think Sooney, Gilmore, and I think possibly even Lawrence Guy can pro- can maybe get you a third rounder or better. I'm just not sold on the rest of the team at this point. And I mean, I think Belichick accumulates some draft picks, man. You don't know what you're going to be doing this off season, but like, get ready for the push of the season for one of those top three quarterbacks this season in the draft. Because I think hmm. I, I think their Patriots hmm. are looking for some guy to start a bit fresher than they did this season. Interesting. Kevin? Uh, they should... I think their Patriots hmm. are looking for some guy to start a bit fresher than they did this season. Interesting. Kevin? Uh, they should sell assets. I, I wouldn't sell uh, on someone like Thune or another old lineman like David Andrews or someone like that, I think you need to keep your O-line solid if you want to retool quickly. But Tony Michelle, St- Stefan Gilmore, anybody else like that, the, mainly those two guys, I think you could, like Justin said, get third rounder or even higher. The problem is, they've, and I said this to my friend last week, they've kind of become the San, the San Antonio Spurs of the NFL. A once very great team that once the building blocks have left town, they haven't been able to replicate. Once Brady's left town now, you're seeing like Cam last couple weeks, ever since he ever since uh he came back from COVID, he just hasn't been the same player that we saw either when he played in Seattle or elsewhere. And that's a concern. You have to wonder, you kind of have to get younger if you're this team. Like Edelman's your best receiving option. He's thirty four. So you've kind of become the Spurs now of football where you have a lot of older assets. You don't have a lot of high draft capital at this point. And you're going to have to sell guys like Gilmore who are some, still somewhat young and in their prime to get higher draft picks at this point. Valid all around. All right, lastly, this is it. Final question going for the rookie question. As of right now, if you had to decide, is Justin Herbert or Joey Bag of Bagels Burrow your rookie of the year, or do you have somebody else in mind? Uh, we'll go to the middle guy first. It's been the middle for a while. Justin. I think Burrow has the advantage for me just because he is top five in passing yards this season, and he's actually played the entire season up to this point. Um, obviously, 
um, Herbert didn't start the season. I feel like that gives Burrow a bit of an edge. But um, since we're talking about rookies, I just want to say Mike Onwenu, um, an offensive lineman for the Patriots, is a rookie. And he um, has played three out of five of the offensive line positions this year and has done very well and has been talked about very favorably by Belichick. I know offensive linemen probably aren't winning rookie of the year, but he deserves <laughs> some credit where credit's due. I appreciate that. I'm sure Marshall does too. Marshall, your thoughts on these guys? Yeah, way, way to give props to Onwenu. Um, he's a he's a big boy too. I think he's like 350. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. You usually don't see linemen who go that late get that big in year one. It usually takes a little while. Um, but yeah. Um, so like I I thought Burrow was better as like a prospect than Herbert, but. A lot of, like, how good a prospect is isn't, like, defined by how their ceiling is. It's kind of, like, also defined by, like, certainty reaching that ceiling. And so Burrow was a player who didn't have the craziest high of ceiling, but you had really good confidence that he could get there. Herbert's clearly hitting his ceiling. I I think he's just the better player. I think he's going to be the better player, and I think he's played better so far. Um, I believe Herbert, through 15, so he's, if he plays every game this season and he does what he does, if he does what he did so far, he could be on pace for like 36 touchdowns and 4,600 passing yards in 15 games, which is absolutely not to be like, it's not sustainable. But Herbert is, I, I mean, he looks better than I thought he would at this level. And I really like him coming out. Perfect. Perfect. Well said. I, I, I think Herbert's sure, showing a lot of people up, and I, and I love it. He's a dog for sure. Um, I still give Joey B. The games he's been, I know the team's been losing a lot, but that's because the defense can't really hold up like the Falcons in fourth quarters. And he's been doing a lot of high 300 yard games, he got a, over 400 yards last game. So I think he'll probably wrap up with it. But I love you boys. I love you all. It's been a great day to be alive. This has been Q Hot Takes. It is October 28th. Happy birthday to Papacino tomorrow. Uh, hopefully it's a good one for yourself. That is my dad. Anyway, 805, that'll be it for us. Go, dogs. Sweet dreams. Kevin, take it away. All right, go Giants. Turn the season around. Got a chance. I know tough loss to Philly, but regroup next this week coming up. We'll see. Go Birds. If anyone wants an autograph, I'll be at Wooden Tap tonight after the show. <laughs> go Bills. We're going to take it to New England this week. So, huge game. Um, yeah, see you boys next week. Good dreams. Love you guys.